You are listening to Live the Questions, brought to you by Chargebee, a billing system for SaaS and subscription commerce startups that believe in taking the long cut. And I'm your host, Akash Sharma. So I just read the news that Leonard Cohen is, is no more. And to rummage through the closet of cliches that this moment affords me, we've lost an important voice. We've lost an important artist. Though his work will endure, and his thoughts and his struggles and his values, everything that he stood for, even Leonard will endure in his work. And I remember reading this piece about him last month. It was about his last album. Yeah, he was still working. He's still working. He was 82. But yeah, he was still creating magic in longhand. And there was a mention of a conversation between Leonard and Bob Dylan. And it was about a very simple question that they asked each other. So Leonard asked Bob how long had it taken him to write this song, I think it was I and I, and he said, 15 minutes. And then Bob asked Leonard how long had it taken him to write Hallelujah. To which Leonard said, two years. He was lying. It had actually taken him five years. Both of them were curious about each other's work. And what they were after, really, they they were curious about themselves and, and finding what Mary Oliver calls their inner versions. And that is what they did, song after song, album after album, decade after decade. They were trying to find their inner versions. And that perhaps is what all of us should do as we go about working. Because why, what, what exactly makes us work except for earning a living? What makes us devote years, decades, a task and what makes us run with it? Part of the answer perhaps lies in what Joseph Conrad wrote in Heart of Darkness as his protagonist says I don't like work no man does but I like what is in the work the chance to find yourself your own reality for yourself not for others what no other man can ever know. They can only see the mayor's show and never can tell what it really means. And in this episode, we speak with Laura Rhoda of Edgar. And our conversation was about the same. How her values, things that she cares about, they've been informed with the time that she has put in in different kinds of work. 
straight out of college, she was as clueless as all of us are. I don't know, I'm still am. And she took up a job that ended up being her only job. And then she wanted to figure out what she really wanted to do, so she quit without clients, without prospects, and got into freelancing, designed websites for people. Made it simpler for them to work with the new springboards of social media. And from there, she went on to build an information empire uh, based on teaching and learning. And from there, she went on to find something else. Now she runs her own software company. She co-founded that. And throughout all of this, you can see a pattern of constant discovery. And isn't that what work is all about? Given that we know that, okay, practice doesn't always make perfect, and the role of chance is so significant in one's existence, let alone the successes and screw-ups, that it eludes any comprehension. What's work for then? And as Laura's story tells us, it's about finding oneself. As artists do, as we do without work, we have that privilege. So that is what we'll talk about in this interview. The choices that she's made, people she met, her fondest memories, why someone called her the lady who speaks from the computer, and how is she thinking about building a company. And she says this is the reason why she wants to grow it. It's because she wants to make a workplace where more and more people can come and enjoy their work and do the work. Put in the hard work and still enjoy it. So, you know, there's no unique constellation of passions that we'd identify. There's a lot in stumbling upon things. We try an error. And the only way to do that is by putting in the work. So if you're going to go binge listen, well, then it goes songs, do that. Also, you might get to hear some background noise in parts in the podcast. Uh, that, that is because of an unfortunate timing that some construction had to take place at the same time as we recorded the conversation. But you'd still be able to hear us clearly throughout. And sorry about that again. Yeah, let's get on with the show. Hello, Laura. Welcome to the show. Hello. Thank you. Glad that you could make it. And uh, you'll straight away jump into the past. That is uh, something that we, that we take up with all our guests. So the first question for you is, uh, did you want to become an entrepreneur when you were young? 
No. Um, I, yeah, I wasn't, I, I didn't, I wasn't one of those kids that had like one very clear idea of, you know, exactly what I wanted to do. Uh Uh, when I grew up, you know, my dad is an architect, so that was always something that was interesting to me, but yeah, I wasn't, I wasn't, I definitely wasn't dead set on being an entrepreneur. Okay. Okay. So what, what was uh, your uh, aspiration like back, back when you were young? So what is it that you wanted to become back then? Uh, like I said, I didn't have I didn't have like an idea of one thing. Um, I liked okay. to write when I was a kid. I really loved to read and write and write stories. You know, thought being an architect might be cool, but yeah, I didn't. I ended up going to school for um, graphic design. So when I was a little older and going to college, I thought uh, I wanted to do graphic design. Okay, and that's what got you into your first real job. Yes, my first real job was as a, a designer for a small agency. As a, as a designer for a small agency. And that was, that was also the only job that you've held, isn't it? That's correct, yes. I have a very short history. So yeah, my first job out of college was also the last job that I ever had because I quit it to, to work for myself after being there for only about a year and a half. <laughs> okay, so what, what made you do it? Was it, was it the idea of working for somebody and the internal disputes that that might have entailed uh, what was it you know there were there were a lot of factors but i wasn't happy with the work that i was doing i was when you're a designer you you only do design which I think to a great designer, they love it that they just get to do design all day. Mm-hmm. Uh, to me, I thought it was a little boring, a little limiting. You know, we were a small agency, so I would get to he- kind of overhear what was going on with the branding and the marketing, and I thought all that stuff was really interesting. So I thought, okay, maybe I should switch to that side and be an mm-hmm. account executive, but then that seemed like a really boring job. <laughs> <laughs> so I was just kind of looking around, like, how can I combine the design side with the marketing side? Mm-hmm. And I kind of realized that if I worked for myself, I would get to do it all. I would do the design, but I would also have to you know, market for clients and help them with proposals and help them with all different parts of their website. So I thought if I worked for myself, it would be a way to do a lot more of the activities that I was interested in for my career. Right. So it was a better way for you to express yourself creatively in a way. Yeah. So there's, there's this... Uh, I'm sure you must have felt this when you were starting out. So there's this uh, uh, almost transfixing allure behind uh, the idea of entrepreneurship. And so mm-hmm. uh, and that quickly translates into fear uh, if when you jump in. So how did you deal with it? So you were fresh out of college. You didn't really work for long in the company. It was, it was a short stint yeah. as, as a graphic designer. So uh, how did you deal with, with that switch and transition? What all did you learn? Yeah, I mean, I was, I was just completely clueless. I had not freelanced on the side uh-huh. before I quit my job, which is really unusual and probably a really bad idea. You know, most people will kind of work on the side for a while and then they'll kind of build up a client base and then they'll quit. But I hadn't done that. I, I had no clients. I had no <laughs> prospects when okay. I quit. 
So I had to I had to figure out everything. Um, and you know the good thing is I was I was young. You know I had no kids. I had no responsibilities. I just had to be able to support myself. Right. Uh, and in some parts of America, there's this there's this discount grocery store called Aldi. And there was one in my neighborhood where I lived in Chicago at the time. And in Aldi, it's like all off-brand stuff. Like they don't have shelves. They just have, you know, boxes all on top of each other. And the food is really cheap. So I, I remember thinking like, you know what? I can just eat at all my food from Aldi. Like <laughs> it'll, it'll be fine. So I was, you know, I was very lucky from that point of view that I didn't have to make a ton of money. I didn't feel like I had a ton of responsibilities. So I thought, okay, well, I need to find small businesses because that's who my clients are going to be, but I don't know any small businesses. So I thought, okay, well, I guess they go to Chamber of Commerce events. Uh, so I just started going to Chamber of Commerce events. I started looking for all the programs. You know, cities will have programs for women in business and people starting new businesses. There's different government programs and different organizations. So I just started showing up in anything like that I could find. <laughs> So, okay, whatever came up as uh, the best possible thing back then was ended up being a, a substitute for what could have looked like, uh, okay, a proper business plan. So, okay, that that's fascinating. So, was there, was there, was there a guiding light at all from from anyone like from 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 one of your parents or was there a friend who was doing it or was it just you and your drive well i mean i quickly made a lot of friends from going to these events so the great thing about going to the chamber of commerce events was i didn't just meet potential clients but i met uh, a lot of friends and that's really where i learned everything about business is i would meet people at these events that had run a business and i would just ask them all of my questions. I remember my friend mm -hmm. Adrian. She had run a brick and mortar store for you know ten, twenty years, and she sat me down and explained financial statements because I needed someone to explain that to me. I didn't know how that worked, so I'm just like, Adrian, help! What is this? How do you do it? And also, my parents had run a business as well. So my dad is self-employed, and my mom uh, kept the books for the business, so they didn't have you know, a big business, but they had uh, worked for themselves. So I would definitely call my dad, not a ton, but I would call him more when I thought something was, was weird or I wasn't sure about something. Like I had this incident where uh, one of my clients referred me to another client, you know, said, hey, you should work with Laura. She's great. And then after the fact, after I had talked to the person and I had like, you know, got a contract with them, the first client came back to me and he said, well, you owe me money because I referred you. And I thought, well, we never talked about that. You know, this, this doesn't seem right. And he was just like, well, you're young and you don't know what you're doing. And you know, this is how it is. And so I remember I called my dad and I was like, dad, is he right? You know, am I, do I owe him money? Am I to, and so my dad's like, no, he's trying to take advantage of you because, you know, he thinks you don't know what's going on. <laughs> so I would, he definitely helped me out in, in situations like that. Right. Okay. That, so this, this is exactly what ends up in that uh, trans, transfixing allure as well. The idea that y you get to learn every day that you don't know much about, about right. things and that there's 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 
so much to learn and they're, that they're people who are getting to tell you things, right? Just, just basically mm-hmm. spend their time and, and partake in the making of something that they don't really know how, how it's, how it's going to turn out. So uh, again, using the time machine, on 28th of September, 2009, you published a post on uh, Copyblogger. It's called Five Social Media Lessons I Learned from Working with a Hollywood Actress. Okay. What did that post mean to you back when it went out? Yeah, so that was a, a big segue into my social media career. Uh, so I started having a lot of clients tell me that they were interested in learning more about social media in you know, 2007, 2008, 2009. Uh-huh. And at the same time that all this was happening, my best friend from college uh, who had moved to LA to become an actress, she was cast on a really big TV show, Heroes. Uh, and as as one of the um, main characters during one season. So I had kind of helped her, you know, get a website together, get a blog together. And then when she was cast on Heroes, I saw that there was going to be this big opportunity to really build up a, a fan following for her. And at the time, mm-hmm. celebrities were not online. Like, uh, I told her to sign up for Twitter. And I mean, it's kind of hard to imagine now not having celebrities on social media, you know, because now they really dominate social media. But at the time, celebrities were not on Twitter. It was just not a thing that they did. A lot of celebrities didn't have any kind of website or or web presence at all in that time. And actually, I remember I talked to, uh, she hired a traditional publicist, you know, to get her in magazines and stuff like that. And so I was like, oh, I should have a call with your publicist to coordinate, you know, what you're doing online with what you're doing in traditional media. And this was one of the most well-known publicity firms in L.A., you know, for the entertainment industry. It still is a very top firm. Mm -hmm. And I had a call with her publicist and her publicist said, I don't know and I don't care about what she's doing on the Internet. I don't know why we're talking right now. Uh I have no interest in that. (laughs) That's her, you know, that's her personal business that has nothing to do with her publicity. Um, Was just not interested (laughs) in any way. Uh, So, you know, it was really fun getting her on Twitter and getting her blogging. And she was kind of one of my first you know, big clients that that gave me this case study for how you could uh, take someone and really build a strong online presence for them. Right. And so given that case study in particular and number of other people that you've worked with, I'm sure hundreds of them, thousands of them through your courses, because you've uh, taught uh, a lot, lot about this stuff as well, and you've really seen this uh, transition happening in various forms of uh, contention from uh, different groups of people. So uh, there, there is. So there are people like, uh, say, Brian Clark, and uh, then there's there's you, and there's uh, Ashley Ambridge from uh, the Middle Finger Project. People have been around for uh, quite some time. To doing this thing and uh, you believed in this early on for some reason but there were also people who were naysayers right and that was mm. sort of the majority 
uh, around I think in mid 2000s I was a majority where people knew that okay there was there was ClickBank and and uh, you you would be taken into directions that you don't really want to go into uh, promises <laughs> would be made and mm. you would end up getting 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 nothing but then there was this other side of uh, uh, businesses that last businesses that have real people behind them in your case LKR so, uh, social media and in uh, Brian's case uh, copy blogger and now Rainmaker Digital and uh, all the businesses that they're doing behind it right so that that thought and back and you were young right? you, it was early 20s mm-hmm. so how were you able to draw yeah. a line in understanding clearly what you wanted to stand for and uh, align that with where the industry was going Yeah, so um, I used to teach a course that was very popular called Creating Fame. And the whole idea was that you could use online marketing, social media marketing, content marketing to be famous to a small group of people. You know, not celebrity famous, not paparazzi famous, but famous for being the best copywriter for the medical device field, you know, whatever, (laughs) whatever it is for your business. So for me, I was just, I, I saw very clearly that the internet was this amazing platform where any small business could now really become a much bigger business and could amplify their reach, you know, really allowed any small business to become a global business and be discovered and reach out to people. And, and that's what I had done with my business, you know, which was teaching people about social media, but from day one, it was a nationwide business. It was a global business. Right. I wasn't just teaching workshops, you know, in local rooms, which is how you would have done a business like that before that time. And how many people still do training businesses, right? There's still certainly a whole world of, of training that hasn't been touched by the internet. <laughs> you know, that's that's just people in local conference rooms. So True. for me, it, it, it like I wasn't that interested by all that kind of, you know, internet marketing, get rich quick. Um, it, it was never about that for me. It was just, this is a really cool channel of communication. Uh-huh. Let's leverage it. Let's use it. Right. So from from those days when you were learning and teaching at the same time on how, mm-hmm. how this works, what are some of your fondest memories from those times when you were teaching? You know, it's just really fun to see small businesses have this kind of transformation because a lot of the people that would come to the classes uh-huh. uh, were just starting out in their business, you know, just trying to figure all this stuff out. And the people that I admired the most were always the people who did not consider themselves tech savvy at all because, <laughs> you know, we would, we would get people in the classes that would be like, okay, I've got a computer, I know I'm supposed to use it, I've figured out email, you know, I know that I have to figure this stuff out. Like, I remember I had a call with a guy uh, one time, and he had this, like, really thick southern accent, and he was a little bit older, and he's like, we call you the lady that talks to us from the computer. (laughs) And he thought it was really funny to hear my voice on the phone, because he's used to me talking to him from the computer. And that was always really rewarding for me, like to see people that were so dedicated to saying, okay, I don't consider myself super tech savvy, Mm -hmm. these are all really new skills, but I know that if I master my skills, these skills I'm really gonna be able to succeed 
in my business. And I just really admire that kind of determination because a lot of people just give up. A lot of people say, oh, that's for younger people or, <laughs> you know, that's not for me. I'm not a computer person, but you have to be a computer person now <laughs> if you want your business to succeed. Absolutely. So, okay. So you, you've uh, had those memories and those, I'm, I'm sure that they've had, they've, they've contributed to the mission that you're on right now. But the other thing that is uh, evident from the way you've you've charted the course that you're on right now, it's you could say it's mostly uncharted territory for anyone uh, of your age when you were starting out, and uh, also the decisions that you've made overall. So these jumps, right? So you start as a graphic designer, you get into uh, designing free as 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 a freelancer, and then you get a social media. Uh, First of all, consulting and then information products. They, I, I read someone you mentioning uh, that you made three thousand dollars from your first info product, and uh, yeah. that that was one moment. And then, of course, that wasn't enough. The next moment happened. So when you take just just stop. I don't know if you do stop and just just take take an account of okay. How do I go? But not further this time is that is that something that goes on in your head when 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 you just sit and say okay this isn't enough and this this isn't the direction that i really want and 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 then you change and then you go somewhere else and of course that takes you three notches further five notches further at times so uh, yeah yeah i mean that that does resonate with me i mean i think one of the really fun parts of being an entrepreneur is that there's there's always something new to learn. And that's the case, but at the same time, you can also get stuck in a rut where you're kind of running the same business every year. Actually, I heard a good quote that said, uh -huh. do you have 10 years experience or do you have one year experience for 10 years over and over again? <laughs> <laughs> you know, so it can be easy to, if you're kind of doing the same business model, maybe you're staying at the same level of revenue, you have the same kind of team uh, to do the same thing for a long time. And by the way, I'm not, I'm not knocking that. You know, because that can be very enjoyable, that can be very satisfying. Maybe you're doing client work and you're always getting to explore new angles that way. Um, but for me, I was interested in seeing what it was like to grow a larger business or to grow a different type of business. So yeah, that was a big motivation for me in starting uh, my software company, Meet Edgar, because I had never done software before and I wanted to know what it was like and, and what that kind of business model was like. <laughs> right, just just that search. That that, that reminds me of uh, something that uh, book critic John John Freeman had said about uh, authors who've had success with with the uh, writing. So he he said something in the lines of, "If I don't know if they've 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 gotten a Nobel or a Pulitzer or a first novel ten years in the making." All the novelists are still shocked each time they finish that it gets done mm -hmm. at all. Perhaps mm -hmm. that is why chance remains, aside from sheer effort, the most cited factor in how they discovered their voices. So uh, as an entrepreneur, you have a voice. And that mm -hmm. voice is your mission. And that 
actually affects the product, that affects how you onboard your team members, how do you take them from one place to the other. And the, the, the funny part is that there's no conscious effort being made all the time to hone the voice. It just happens to be, at least I feel that it's, it's that way, given uh, the conversations, limited conversations that I, I, I've had with people. I've, I've never started my own business. But yeah, the, the questions and answers have uh, led me to this direction. That, okay, there's, there's a lot of dependency on uh, chance. So uh, how much do you think it's, it's, it, of it as a factor? in how things actually end up being. As chance as a factor, is that what you're yes, saying? Yes, yes, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think it's huge. It's it's huge because we, we control as much as we can, but, you know, when you track backwards through your own story, you see so many just little coincidences of who you've connected with. I mean, the people that you spend time with are hugely influential on the decisions you make on how you end up crafting your business on the role models that you have and you know so many especially of my entrepreneur friends and business friends I've met them at conferences standing around by the bar and if you know they hadn't have been standing next to me I never I never would have met them um, obviously when you have a team you know your team is shaping the business so meet Edgar would not look the way it looks today without every unique person who's on the team. So if we hadn't come across those people, our business would look very different. So yeah, I think that you, you know, you make the best choices you can, but yeah, you right. have to accept chances as a huge part of the journey. True, true. But still, you need to bring in the dogness, right? The ample dogness to still do the things that are supposed to be done. And you've done them. Yeah. Uh, over 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 time what 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 is it that apart from learning about things what is it that really keeps you going when it comes to any venture really it could be freelancing or consulting so mm -hmm. learning aside what is what, what is it that drives you is i'm, I'm sure it isn't just wide-eyed curiosity about something so that that does play an important role but what else do you think it contributes a lot well, now a huge motivation for me is creating really amazing jobs and creating a really amazing place to work because I think there that most people or a lot of people don't like their jobs, even at really interesting companies, you know, even people who are at really interesting startups mm -hmm. getting to do work solving good problems. A lot of the cultures will, one, I mean, in the startup world, there's so much culture around just, in my mind, an insane amount of over overwork, um, right. working nights, working weekends, expected to be available on your phone 24-7, you know, available on vacation. Right. Uh, this is a crazy standard that's been created, and, and that's not how we work at Meet Edgar. So what's hugely motivating for me is the idea of, creating a new type of company where people get to do work that's really exciting to them and they get to do it in a place where they're really valued and they're really respected, mm -hmm. where it's understood that they have lives outside of work and that their All work right. is not, 
their entire life. You know, our team is is remote. Um, we're all in North America, but we don't have an office. So mm-hmm. it, people really enjoy that flexibility, you know, not having a commute, all those types of things. So that's a big motivator for me now is I want to grow the company and hire more people just so that we can give more people great jobs. Right. Okay. So if you were to give an example apart from uh, so the the point that you brought up about remote culture that that again is new for a lot of companies and mm-hmm. that they're still addressing that as an area to go or not to go i've seen startups like so that's uh, i think help scout most most of their people are remote then zapier most of their people are remote but then uh, mm-hmm. there are other companies as in most startups that don't have this culture right now so mm-hmm. e- e- even if people do work in one office and location. What are the processes that you you think should exist? Or what, what, what is the kind of thinking that should exist for the organization to be not just productive in the sense that, okay, we get to this goal, this is what we're aiming for, and uh, with some serendipity and a lot of work we are here and we're done so as, as, as you were saying it's important for people to enjoy what they're doing right so how, how does that happen because the the aligning of passions is hard and so there's this idea of uh, I, I think it's Carl uh, Carl Newman I, I forgot the name of the author there's a book called So Good They Can't Ignore You uh, this uh, mm-hmm. right uh, and uh, he also published the recent book it was called Deep Work um, uh, not not able to come up with his name right we'll probably link him Cal Newport C- Cal Newport yes yes Cal Newport yeah so his 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 idea around not building for passion right and and mm-hmm. building for learning and building for darkness and actually figuring things out first and then turning into fashion so okay you shouldn't just uh, do what you love but you should love what you do right the the opposite <laughs> of what the lore has been ever since uh, uh, Steve Jobs gave that keynote and uh, I think it dates back as well because not everyone has that privilege right away of okay this is my passion I've identified it and I'm going to stick with it and you as someone who runs the company who gets to decide what is it that they'll spend in a good good number of hours every week doing and uh, of course this will involve mental focus and this will change how they think about other things as well so how do you think about this the 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 passion versus uh, real work uh, uh, dilemma that that companies face increasingly and just just to make sure that it is a workplace that not just produces happy customers but happy producers mm-hmm. pe- people who are doing the work right yeah well, i think you know we're we're huge believers in ownership that's that's one of our core values and okay. i think really running with the concept of ownership does solve a lot of this because it's very easy for people to both be excited to get their work done and have a good amount of creativity and how that work gets done when they do totally own a project. 
So everyone who's at our company has, we actually have a chart of everyone, everyone's names, and then like this is what they own and this is what they're really good at. So if you need help with this, contact them. So for our engineering team, everyone on the team knows what their different specialties are, whether it's, you know, this one's especially good at JavaScript or it might be that there's a part of the app that this person, they're the ones that, that know, like, you know, our billing, we have um, one engineer that's been heading up all of our billing stuff. So if you have a question about billing, he's the one who owns that, you know, you know to talk to him. And so he has the ownership of making the decisions of how that's going to get executed. Right. Uh, the person who writes our blog is in charge of our blog. So he decides what the content is, he decides what to write. He's not being assigned posts and then writing them. He is owning the whole uh, user experience of, uh -huh. of what our blog is like. Okay, okay. Ownership as as a key well, key key value that you guys look at. Okay, okay, mm -hmm. right. And you've uh, also listed three other guiding values on uh, Edgar's. Uh, they, so I think two other the, the other ones are choosing kindness and mm -hmm. value for value. Apart mm -hmm. from taking ownership, could you talk about the other two as well? Yeah. So. Uh, Kindness is how we interact with each other, how we interact with the world, and interact with our customers. So it's a very uh, simple word, but it's also a very clear word. I think it's very clear if someone is being kind or not. And at our, at our company, there's no room for people to not be kind. There's room for people to disagree mm -hmm. and have different opinions and maybe not even always get along. Maybe you need a break from somebody. <laughs> You're done hanging out with them today or done talking to them today. But that doesn't mean that you can't be kind to them. And I think it's one of those basic things that if you have that as the common thread, you know that you are all being, uh, all being respectful to each other. And it's just one of those easy things that we can say we don't, we don't tolerate um, when people are not kind. And Value for value is kind of an interesting one that is, you know, obviously a phrase that we that we made up. And um, value for value is a way of looking at the world and seeing everything as an even exchange of value, a fair exchange of value. So our customers pay us money for the software, uh -huh. and we provide the software in exchange, which sends out their social media, which gets them more traffic, which does all the things that the software promises. And that needs to be value for value. That needs to be an even exchange of value. They have to feel like their money is a good deal for what they're getting, and we have to feel like they're paying us a fair price for what we're providing. Right. The same for every employee, right? We have to have a value for value relationship with the company and the employee. So this is something that'll come up when we're talking about like, should we buy that piece of software? Or like, is this freelancer working out for us? It's like, mm -hmm. well, value for value, we're paying them this much money, but we just don't really feel like that amount of value is being delivered. And I think this is important because it's a way of seeing everything as an even exchange where some people, like we'll interview people mm -hmm. who will have this kind of point of view, like the company, like companies are these like 
evil overlords <laughs> and <laughs> employees <laughs> are like these like field workers that have no choice in the matter. Um, and you know, we don't want people that view work that way. We want everyone to feel like it's, it's a decision that they're choosing to make every day. So, right. you know, I would never want someone to stay like, we actually don't do any kind of equity and, you know, I would never want someone at my company who's mm. sticking around for a few extra years because they're waiting to vest. You know, I want right. them to be sticking around because they get that value for value every single day. Right, right. And when do you think this, this, uh, so I'm sure when you're speaking value for value, you are speaking of an exchange that mm. takes place every day or every week or every year or the, the, the time that they end up spending with you, right? The total time they end up spending mm -hmm. with you. So when this exchange is taking place, what are the kind of uh, trade-offs that you think uh, parties, both parties have to make? Because it's an exchange sometimes, right? If they ever have to make trade-offs. Mm -hmm. And uh, how, how do you deal with those trade-offs? Well, yeah, I mean, looking at it from that point of view, uh, everything, every choice that you make is other choices that you haven't made, right? right? So every person who works for our company has chosen not to work for another company. And every person that we've hired, we've decided not to hire another person in their role. So yeah, there's always trade-offs. And I think it's it's recognizing that it is a choice, you know, that, that um, we can let someone go and they can also leave. You know, we have not signed lifelong lifelong contracts together so <laughs> right, right. you know i think it's it's good to recognize the trade-offs and it's good to recognize that it is a choice because it just reminds you of your own power and your own freedom mm -hmm. in the situation and i mean that's how we view things with our customers as well like we don't want to trick customers into getting like locked in for longer than they want to be and they're not using it and they want to leave like we want to make sure that everyone's getting value for every month or every year that they pay for our software Right, right. Okay. So speaking of uh, your software, so one thing that gets brought up a lot in conversations about Edgar is that it's in a competitive space. So mm -hmm. you, you got companies, well-respected companies like Buffer and Hootsuite, and they are targeting the same market. And I remember you citing once I think it was in an interview with uh, Groove uh, sometime last year that it, it really isn't about uh, winner takes all it, it really isn't mm -hmm. and uh, uh, I, we ended up writing a post about it where we compared companies in the marketing technology space HubSpot, Marketer mm -hmm. and all these companies and uh, uh, I cited what you said about it back then as well so if you were to describe, because, okay, if you're looking at you, you're the face of Edgar, right? Other than Edgar, our, our uh, <laughs> cute octopus, right? So mm -hmm. uh, how would you address the singular purpose of this organization or product? Mm -hmm. So Edgar significantly increases your traffic from social media. From what we see, it at least doubles your traffic from social media, usually pretty much right away, mm -hmm. within the first month. And the way that we do that is by repurposing your library of content, which is what we do that's really unique that, that other tools 
don't do. So everyone spends an enormous amount of time creating all this content, you know, recording podcasts, recording videos, writing blog posts. Uh, You spend a lot of time making the content. And what most people do is they spend hours making the content. They send it out. Sometimes they send it out literally once (laughs) on social media when it's new. People are a little more savvy now. They usually send it out a few times that first week. But the problem is after that, it's just dying on the vine. You know, you you look at the stats in Google Analytics and it's got that first jump in the beginning. And then it's just, you know, little to no traffic after that. It's just kind of dead after that. So... What Edgar does that's really different is you load up all of your evergreen content into a library and then Edgar just handles sending it out over and over again for you on autopilot. So you don't have to keep refilling your queue. You don't have to keep scheduling. Edgar just says, okay, you've given me this great library of content. I'll make sure that your followers on social media are seeing it. So it's a way to really take what you've done and right. amplify it and make sure that it's it's working for you and getting you more traffic and getting you more customers. Right. And well, but but for somebody who is uh, looking at it as just another social media tool, as as you've said, it's 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 been a way for you to get people on board with uh, say Facebook ads that you ran initially, and uh, say that okay, this is a social media tool that does this and is worth checking out, right? Just just building that yeah. bit. So uh, do. What do you think has helped you hone this uh, uh, pitch of, of talking about this product the most? Because uh, so different companies have different pitches because they, they come from different people. Yeah. And uh, given the background that you've uh, had and uh, the problems that you've yourself faced with uh, running social media accounts and uh, uh, strategies for different people, right? And how... Ha- how do you make sure that the the lessons from from that time, and I'm asking this on behalf of anyone who intends to do research, and it's hard to translate research into something that works for the for, for, for the people who are going to use your your thing, uh, be it a course, be it a software product. So, g- given the osmosis that has happened over years in your case. How, how did you manage to translate what, what you knew about something into something that existed in the real world, aside from you, be it a course, be, be it Edgar, be it anything else you've done? Um, how did I like make my ideas into something something real? Is that what you're saying? Yes. Uh, I'm, 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 so I know it's it's uh, no, uh, it's 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 a. Uh, confusing question but what i what i what i what i um, i'm confused myself but what I, what I really wanted to ask was that okay people hire uh, user researchers now and they spend hours going about the business of understanding how someone does a given job in their day-to-day work uh, and and right you try, try to come up with something and then there are people who just know that it's going to work right mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. I, I know that you've 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 been in the industry but uh, i'm sure that there, there are no researchers uh, or, or a lot of researchers at edgar right now and and their job is solely doing research right that's just one way of looking at it but most products 
the the products. So if if you take up Slack, if if you if you take up other companies mm. that have been successful, even Buffer for that case, right? So they they didn't deploy all of that. It just mm. it, it, so somehow you feel that it just it just came out from somewhere, right? It was they they mm. had they had some uh, cosmic radio to tune into, and they they had this right. Uh, right, right broadcast that ended up being a business, right? It, it's just, mm-hmm. it was just right. So if you look at Edgar, I, I know that you have a very simple landing page and you have a wonderful newsletter that you send out every week. I, I think it's called The Dash. And mm-hmm. uh, that's okay. I, I love the book recommendations that you guys do based on different people. So there's that. And the rest of the playbook isn't really evident as in what is it that is happening inside the company or inside Laura's head that mm. is making it happen for 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 the world it's just that okay uh, she's put in the time and she knows more and she knows how to translate that into something that works and okay so you got to go back just put in the time but how do you think about this that's uh, I know that it's yeah So, I mean, it's pretty easy to stay in touch with our customers and what they're doing because it's the same thing that our team is doing and the same thing that I'm doing. You know, I use Edgar. I use Edgar to manage my personal Twitter profile. Mm -hmm. So uh, that, I mean, it sounds like a small thing, but it's really important because I understand the frustrations that our users have. I understand. I also see firsthand, you know, all the great things that happen when you use this tool and all the response you get and all the traffic you get. But it is really important and it allows me, you know, I was at a conference recently Uh and I was talking to one of our customers and she was saying, oh, it's annoying, you know, when I want to resize an image because it's too big and I wish I could do it just right there in Edgar. And when I was talking to her, I thought like, yeah, I've had that experience too. (laughs) You know, I've had that experience of uploading an image that's too big and then I have to go back to my image editing tool. I'm like, yes, I totally know exactly what you're talking about. And maintaining that kind of connection is is really, really important because it means that, yeah, you don't have to do a bunch of research if you're using your own tool uh-huh. on a daily basis to do what it's supposed to do. You know what's good about it. You know what's bad about it. You know the problems with it, you know. And one of the really cool things about social media, too, is it allows you to be so in touch with your customers, you know, our customers are emailing us, we're talking them on Facebook, we're talking them on Twitter. uh, And it's easy for everyone at the company to see all that. You know, one thing that we do is we do two weekly emails, the entire company receives, Mm -hmm. uh, basically one with criticism and and one with praise. So we do one email every week that the whole company gets with um, problems with Edgar, why people are canceling Edgar, the things they don't like about it. And then we get another email with all the things that people have written to us saying that they love about Edgar. So it keeps the whole company uh, in touch with with what's going on. And as far as the product development, you know, we we keep that really simple. We are really focused on solving our core problem. We don't want to be the tool that does everything that you can do in social media for everyone um, we're really a content tool, so we right. just we really stick to that content for small businesses. Indeed, indeed. Okay, yeah, that's uh, that's that's the answer, and yeah, the answer is again, you have to figure things out, and you have to eat your own in in, in the startup uh, uh, language. You have to eat your own dog food, 
and understand right. you, you, your best. Uh, uh, you have to be the best user of the product, right? So that that is certainly one one way of going going about things, right? Okay, so we we are coming to a close. So I still have just just a uh, few uh, final five final questions. So we'll wrap it up fast. So one is, uh, what role do you think uh, imagination has played in the things? you've done the things you've made and brought into the world? Um, what role does imagination play? I mean, I think that's a really interesting question because I think running a business is like this mix of being very grounded in reality, kind of like I was just talking about, like where, what are those like very specific pain points of uploading an image? You know, what does that feel like? It's this mix of being grounded in the reality of some very mundane details and having this larger vision for where you want the product to go, where you want the company to go, you know, where you see your industry going. So yeah, I do think that imagination is important because you're going to, without it, you are going to get stuck in the past and you're going to fall behind or you're going to get so focused and so reactive on the now that you're not putting this this bigger vision for this better way that you want things to be. Right, right, okay. Thanks, Laura, that so wraps it up. So what, what we were after in this interview is uh, to understand uh, how does this entrepreneur's mind works and uh, directs and uses the, not, not just your own creative ability, but the creative ability of people that you work with and to to build something meaningful for uh, your customers so that's 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 that was, that was great and uh thanks for doing this we we hope you guys keep striving for uh what your mission is at edgar and uh keep keep uh, getting to your milestones the 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 character and uh the the drive that you've uh, built it so far it was it was it was uh, glad uh, I, just just great great to speak with you yeah thanks for doing thank this you. Okay. thank you so 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 how do you find your inner version what work enables you to do that and why is that so tell me all about it. Tell Laura about this. If you like the show and would want in on more conversations, subscribe to the show on iTunes or SoundCloud or Stitcher, wherever you do your podcast refueling. And I would also appreciate if you could tell us how you're finding it. All constructive criticism we're all ears for that and we would want to make the show better we'll be back with the next episode till then keep finding that inner version that special inner version and keep living the questions